Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Startup of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, the co-founder of Established Ventures, the team behind the Startup of the Year community, and this very podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I know there's so many podcasts out there to listen to. I appreciate you joining us today. On this episode, we have a special episode uh, focused on some of our alumni. So we got a panel discussion that we hosted back in our, at our summit. And if you missed it, this is your chance to listen to it. If you heard it before, it'll be good to hear it again. So we've got a distinguished set of alumni from our Startup of the Year community joining us. Specifically, we've got David uh, Dvorak. He's the co-founder and president of Kamana, which is a 2019 uh, Startup of the Year Top 100 finalist at our annual awards. He's also was, uh, his company was an established ventures portfolio company until it was actually acquired in 2020. We also have Amy Beckley, who is the founder and CEO of Prove. They were a top 100 finalists in our awards, as well as a top uh, finisher in our startup of the year at uh, South by Southwest a few years back. And uh, we also have our old friend from Chicago and fellow Cub fan, David Arnson. He's the CEO of, um, and founder of Peanut Butter, which, is a, uh, which was a top uh, five finalist in our Startup of the Year awards in 2016. And uh, last but definitely not least, we've got Garrett Moon. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of CoSchedule. And uh, he was also a 2016 top five finalist at our Startup of the Year awards. So great group of people. Can't wait to hear what they have to say. And before we jump in, though, into the panel discussion, I want to make sure that I mention that we're always open to uh, looking for additional companies to join our community. Uh, we'd like to help startup founders along the startup journey. And we do that with our programs, resources, and kind of educational opportunities. And, uh, you know, everything's positioned to build relationships and push you forward. So if you want to join our community, do so right away. You can just go to SOTY.link forward slash apply. And if you do so before October 15th, uh, we actually extended our deadline this year for our awards. Uh, we're going to do some awards and have our summit. And to be eligible, you need to have your uh, application or you need to join our community before uh, October 15th. So get those applications in right away, SOTY.link forward slash apply, and you could be in the running for an opportunity to be named Startup of the Year. All right, now let's uh, switch gears and hear uh, this discussion from our distinguished alumni panel. For the viewers that don't know, could each of you just please talk a little bit more about your company, when it started, uh, where the idea came from, a little bit about what motivates you, um, and then also describing the business model and a little bit about your your user experience. And David, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Yeah, thanks, Jackie. Uh, so uh, I am the founder of Peanut Butter. We help employers attract, retain, and engage college-educated workers by administering student loan assistance programs. Uh, the companies that work with us, organizations like um, Instacart, um, uh, Calabrio, uh, Mechanics Bank, and others uh, will choose one of two forms of student loan assistance that they want to provide to their team members. Either they give all employees the resources that those employees need to manage their student debt, or they complement those resources with student loan repayment where the company commits to contributing toward employees' loans. Our clients will typically contribute $50 or $100 per month toward employees' loans, and their contributions over time will help the, their work, the average worker get out from under her debt in seven or eight years instead of 10 and save 
uh, seven, eight, nine, top 10, eleven thousand dollars in principal and interest over the life of their loan. Uh, so it makes a meaningful impact for the worker and for the company. There's a huge payback because uh, employers that offer student loan assistance are able to stand out relative to their competition. In turn, they can hire faster, uh, avoiding the costs of uh, talent acquisition. Uh, they can uh, retain talent longer, uh, often reducing materially the costs of lost productivity, rehiring and retraining. And because of the demographics of who holds student debt, uh, many employers are able to improve gender and cultural diversity and uh, reap the advantages that come along with having a more diverse workforce by offering student loan assistance. Um, my background is uh, has, includes a number of different things, everything from running a, my family's bakery to um, building um, technology applications uh, for a large retailer. But uh, I would say that you know what I do at, at Peanut Butter is is really um, sales and management, um, helping employers design and implement the right student loan assistance programs, and uh, organizing the right team uh, and team members to build our company and serve our clients in the way that they they expect. Thanks, David. How about over to you, Amy? Yeah. So. Um... For all the men in the room, it's the big giant uterus behind me <laughs> because we are a fertility company. So we help um, women understand if they're ovulating properly. This is important because it's the number one cause of infertility. Um, so we're a direct-to-consumer product. Um, the proof test is, is sold online um, on our website, Amazon, Target, FSA store, a, a whole bunch of different places. Um, but it was it was vented in my invented in my basement because I went through infertility, um, multiple miscarriages, um, went through IVF a few times, and told us that, you know that was my only option, which is very expensive. Only to find out that it was a simple hormone imbalance. That if I had a test like Prove, <laughs> that I could have saved myself that that heart act, heart heartache, pain. Um, and so I took it upon myself to invent a product that would help women understand if they're ovulating properly and if not to get the help that they need before, you know, pursuing invasive technologies. Great. And we'll keep it in Colorado and go back to Dave. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, very impressed with uh, both, both, of, both of your companies here. I'm learning about them for the first time myself. So that's exciting. Um, so yeah, I'm Dave, uh, one of uh, three co-founders at Kamana uh, at a high level. We offer a, a twofold product. Um, a, for uh, nurses and other healthcare professionals, a way to store, track, manage, and share their credentials and compliance data. Um, you can kind of think of it as a universal college application, but they're using it to navigate their career without having to duplicate the paperwork that comes along with uh, kind of managing and sharing all of the various like licenses, certifications, medical records, all the things that you have to have as a healthcare professional to step foot into a hospital. Um, the other side is a workflow management platform for healthcare employers, which right now we're um, explicitly focused on the healthcare staffing world, uh, more exclusively the travel healthcare staffing world. Um, so helping staffing agencies manage like the life cycle of like the recruitment, uh, onboarding and compliance process for healthcare professionals. Uh, we started this uh, with a good friend of mine, um, or, you know, kind of originally uh, was hanging out with him while he was on a travel nursing contract. He's a travel nurse, or he was uh, a little too busy nowadays, uh, but was a travel nurse and was on a contract up in 
Alaska and we were kind of hanging out up there and uh, he was kind of going through the process of every few months he's having to apply and go through the exact same paperwork process with like really difficult manual back and forth work with multiple companies and um, started looking at it from his angle of like, you know, how could we introduce a solution to the industry that's going to make you know life easier for healthcare professionals. Um, and as a result, just kind of learned like, you know, this is my co-founder, John was just one guy dealing with this for himself. Uh, but the employers are dealing with these kind of like crazy manual tracking and uh, uh, compliance processes for potentially thousands of people at once. So um, it's really where we came from. All that was uh, into 2018, uh, we got our first uh, like piece of our product, our digital wallet for healthcare workers, uh, launched mid 2019. Uh, got our employer platform launched uh, late 2019, and uh, here we are today at uh, seven employees and uh, a little over 10,000 users and about 50 uh, agencies working on the platform. Wow! And to my fellow Dakotan, we'll go over to you, Garrett. Thanks, Jackie. Yes. Uh, no snow flying yet up, up north. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, CoSchedule, you know, we are a, a provider of, you know, uh, solutions that help marketing teams get organized. Um, we help marketing teams that are from, you know, single person, uh, one or two person teams, small businesses uh, to large enterprise organizations, uh, get their marketing organized and on uh, a single unified marketing calendar. Um, you know, I think a lot of uh, folks who are running startups and founders uh, definitely understand the challenges that come from uh, marketing your business and managing uh, the increasingly growing network of services and places that we need to be talking about managing and, and promoting our, our business. So what we really try to do is just give those teams a single place to see all of their marketing, a calendar that helps them plan ahead uh, in terms of what their, their marketing efforts need to be, manage their social media, manage their, the content they're producing on their blog, email marketing, um, and really give them, in many ways, the a visual marketing strategy that most teams are lacking. Uh, we know, and our research has shown over the years, um, and, I'm, and I'm sure many people have heard the stats, that uh, teams that have a written down, documented marketing plan uh, get better results. Um, and are, are better able to drive traffic to their business. So we really try to, to provide a very simple, easy way to do that um, that is, that is user-friendly user and helps those teams uh, be successful. Um, my background is in marketing. I worked in uh, advertising uh, for uh, 10 years. That's where I met my co-founder. Uh, I worked in design. He worked in development. So it was a pretty uh, natural uh, next step for us to jump into the agency world uh, and doing marketing consulting, we really encountered a lot of clients that were having these issues uh, and these challenges. And um, that is when we, we started building, uh, building our first marketing calendar uh, and strategic planning tool. Um, we launched in 2013. Uh, we are a uh, North Dakota-based startup, which is always uh, something that is very unique to us. Uh, we continue to be completely North Dakota-based, uh, a couple of offices throughout our state, uh, but we're, we're proud of our... Um, part of our heritage here in North Dakota. And uh, yeah. It's, Thanks. It's I'd love to on. just, I'd love to stick with that thread in terms of where you're based and this idea around like so many of the startup of the year. And this is really our team's emphasis is on finding startups that are based in markets that are often overlooked or just aren't, you know, on the radar for a lot of the investor networks and how do we bring those all together? 
And I think, uh, you know, starting with you based in North Dakota, North Dakota startup, how does that ecosystem, and we'll, we'll take this question to each of you, but Garrett, if you'll start off just a couple of comments on how the ecosystem shapes your startup and how you've been able to, to use um, that ecosystem as something to really nurture your companies. How does, yeah. how does where you're based, what's the silver lining in being a, a Dakota based startup? Yeah, great question. I think there's, there's a lot of them that uh, frequently go overlooked. Um, we, you know, when me and my co-founder originally started CoSchedule and, and our own uh, marketing agency, we kind of did it because there weren't jobs in our state that we, wa- that we wanted, right? We kind of needed to create jobs that were, um, you know, pushing more into technology. We were, re- you know, we were really interested in social media and where that was going. I mean, this was in the early 2000s, so it was quite a long time ago. Um, hard to imagine now, but you know, not a lot of that stuff was happening in, in the field that we were working in. So for us, that really became something where as long as possible and as much as possible, we want to help create the types of jobs that we want and jobs in technology um, in our state. So we, we started very early on with that, that passion. What we didn't realize at the time was that it was going to become a major advantage for us going forward. Um, there are... Uh, you know, when you're from a small state or from a rural state or service state that is trying actively trying to grow a technology platform as ours is, um, you know, there's a lot more opportunities uh, in terms of financing. There's direct financing that we get. We have one of the only state-owned banks in North Dakota, um, which is a very unique, uh, a unique benefit. Uh, they provided matching funds for us very early on uh, when we were getting going and took on private investors. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that type of thing is becoming more and more common in the Midwest in particular. Um, and I think that's something that, that startups should be looking into and thinking about. Um, I think the other thing is just, you know, you're, you're able to find talent in a way that is very challenging uh, in more populated areas. Um, you know, in North Dakota and in our com- the communities that we have offices in, we can be the best gig in town. Uh, in many ways, uh, we stand out, um, and you know our culture, uh, the work that we do, the uh, the, the global audience that we have a, a reach uh, a reach to as a as a startup is very unique to us. Um, so for recruiting, um, you know, it's really been a major advantage, and we can uh, pick and choose. We can uh, we are able to bring in people that want to get back to the state, close to family, things like that that are more challenging uh, when you're in more populated areas or just areas where there's more startup activity, um, you know, you're, you're picking and pulling uh, from other, other places a lot more often than we, we tend to see. And how about for you, David Aronson? Yeah, we were, I think on the fringe of the radar when the company was founded based in Chicago, um, definitely not the epicenter of where investors look but uh, not off the radar by any means. And then we moved fully off the radar to Western New York, uh, Buffalo. Uh, We maintain an office in Chicago, company headquarters now in Buffalo. Uh, The reason that I chose to relocate the company is a couple of fold. We were selected for um, an investment from an organization called 43 North, which has really done a nice job building the ecosystem uh, in Western New York. Um, the, it was a small investment, but it came with, um, access to, uh, it came with some tax incentives, uh, to build in the area, uh, and access to, uh, good junior level talent. So, 
Uh, that has each of those has rung true. Uh, it's been a good move uh, relocating the headquarters to Buffalo. Uh, it, for a startup, it really extends the runway. Um, you know, lower operating structure when it comes to rent and people uh, means that you can um, you've got you've, you've got more of an opportunity to build um, and see the market evolve. So uh, I think um, we continue to maintain relationships in both Buffalo and, and Chicago. And, um, you know, I think um, there is uh there was before the pandemic, uh, growing interest from tech investors and uh, sourcing opportunities outside of Silicon Valley. And from what I can tell, um, you know, the, the pandemic has, has flattened things out even more and uh, created uh, greater, greater access to capital for companies that are not Silicon Valley based. Though um, I think many of the Silicon Valley investors are still looking for the same thing that they want, they wanted before, which is uh, grow fast and either make something really big or, or don't make something big. So if that's not your mentality uh, in building your company in uh, you know, Minneapolis or Detroit or uh, Cleveland, uh, if your mentality is uh, to grow steadily and, and profitably, then you're probably not going to find uh, greater access to capital today than, than you would have before. Um, that's been my experience. Well, we'll definitely come back to that topic of fundraising and investors, of course. Um, but I'm curious for you, Dave, how has the being based in Denver made a difference for your company? Oh, you're on mute. Of course I am. Um, wouldn't be a virtual event without that happening once. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So we are, you know, from the start uh, and, you know, still uh, we're a fully distributed team. So um, we have like, I guess, you know, semi been based in Denver because I've gotten so much out of the ecosystem here and then equally, you know, as much um, in Richmond, Virginia, uh, you know, very small startup ecosystem, but, you know, very incredible startup ecosystem. So. I think from, you know, we got the advantage right out of the gate where, you know, my co-founder, uh, my two co-founders and I, we were split between, you know, Virginia, Florida and Denver. So we had the advantage of being in multiple places with support from multiple areas, which is awesome. Um, I would say speaking to Denver specifically, um, I moved to Denver uh, when Kamana was a two week old concept. Um, and I knew, I would say, virtually nothing about startups. Like my background, I, I did, you know, help. I was employee one at a company in the healthcare space, like scaled it to 250, uh, but we were like very services oriented. We were not technology oriented. So uh, being in the Denver ecosystem, I would say has like everything to do with us uh, making this a reality, just in the sense that like I moved here during Denver startup week. Um, I attended that. I like got a lot of support from, people in the ecosystem here to like, Hey, like, you know, don't like talk about it, actually do it. And like, here are the resources you need to actually achieve that. Yeah. Um, and then in Richmond, where one of my co-founders uh, is based as well as we went through an accelerator program there in the GAN network called Lighthouse Labs. Um, so I've spent probably most of our like, company onsite, onsite time has been in Richmond. Um, accelerator program, awesome. Startup ecosystem basically fits into like a couple of buildings in Richmond, but like incredibly knowledgeable and supportive. Uh, and I know we'll get to 
kind of the, the capital aspect later, but like most of our fundraising has come out of like Richmond and other small markets. We haven't taken any money from any big markets. So it's been uh, definitely, uh, I would say easier to stand out in a small market than it you know would have been if we were like sitting in kind of a, a you know, top tier market city, but uh, also, you know, comes with its challenges in terms of, uh, you know, capital and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Amy lives in a community where they've literally written a book about startup ecosystems. So Amy, what's been your experience in Boulder? Yeah, no, I'm just going to piggyback on what Dave said is, is, um, you know, Colorado has been phenomenal for us. Um, I, started this company bootstrap mode in my basement um, and, you know, built it to a $100,000 revenue company. And then was like, oh, I can't really do this by myself in my basement. I need some like more resources. And the state of Colorado was literally the first person to support me. Um, they, you know, open you, welcome you, and they have all this you know, resources. And there was a grant for advanced industries that allowed us to attract investors um, and, you know, I 100% I agree is if you're in these big markets um, on the coast, you can get lost. Um, whereas being in like a, you know, a smaller area <laughs> um, can really be beneficial. Well, I want to tie that back and um, we'll just have you um, keep going, Amy. The, the question I think is, that's come up a lot this week of course, because we're at Summit and a lot of what we're doing here is about connecting startups to investors that they might not otherwise be able to reach in their networks. And one of the pieces of advice that we've heard from the investors over and over this week is it's, they want to know who you are as founders. They want to understand your business, but they really want to invest in people who are authentic. And I think that's such a, a funny word to think about. What is What do you think authenticity means for you in terms of your relationship with your investors, could you share a little bit about what your best relationship with an investor has been and, and share any insights on managing those relationships? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, our very first investor was um, an angel investor and he's, he's put in, you know, money and then more money and then more money. So he's always kind of re-upped. And I had a conversation with him about eight months ago and it's like, not to, not to be like the bad question, but Paul, why did you invest in us? <laughs> like, what was it? And he's like, you just, you're scrappy. You get it. Like you're so personally involved that there's no way you can fail. Like it's like, you just, you're ingrained, you have the knowledge, you've done things, you know, non-traditionally that it's like, if I had to put my money into something, you know, working, it's, it's what you guys are doing because you're so passionate about it. You're so, you know, it's a real thing. It's not like um, I just, you know, developed this because I knew I was going to make a bunch of money. It was like a personal passion of mine, which also happened to be a really good product and a really good idea. <laughs> and if you put those two together, it's like, you know, you, you tie the passion, the realness with the technology and, you know, it, it, we're a consumer brand. Um, you know, my face is on all these packages. It's my story. We have a huge community of women that support each other. And that kind of personal branding goes a long way. We're not just another, you know, product that's low cost that comes from China without support or anything like that. It's, it's a community of women that are doing things to help other women. 
And, and that goes a really, really long way, especially when you're building a consumer brand, um, which are much harder to, to scale and to exit because it's, you know, it's, it's just hard to build a brand. Um, well, I think your whole team exudes what you just described too. And so we'll, I definitely want to come back and, and ask you more about your team, but how about over to you, Garrett, in terms of investor relationships and building co-schedule, what's that look like for your, your company? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as you know, you, you age as a company um, and, you know, your investors that came in at the very beginning, uh, they re-upped, you know, just like Amy was talking about, they came in on other rounds, you added new ones. Those relationships become more and more important. And I think that authenticity word becomes really, really key. And I think that's, you know, what, what founders or not what, uh, what investors are, are keying in on is something that founders learn uh, too after they take money is that things don't always go well. Things rarely go to plan. You know, we um, we we put the pitch decks together. We we build out uh, you know our estimates of growth and how we think it's going to how we think things are going to go. Um, and sometimes it works. Most of the time, it doesn't go according to plan. Uh, sometimes there's uh, major problems that come along the way. I mean, you think you look at 2020 and you see like just all of the shifting and changing that's happened in different markets and growth and, um, you know, investors own portfolios uh, just in the past year. And you realize that there's going to be some hard conversations and there's going to be some hard moments. Uh, and I think as investors, they've seen that, they've experienced that. I think sometimes as founders, you're, you know, you're the wide-eyed optimist and you need to be. Um, but it can be something you overlook as well. And that, that authenticity and that like relationship, you know, I always think about it as trust. Like there has to be a really strong trust based relationship. Um, and those things become increasingly important as you go along. Um, and I think, you know, most of the time it's just communication. That's, you know, that's kind of how we've really handled it is thinking about trying to communicate as often as possible, um, having good boundaries and good and conversations about what the boundaries are in terms of, um, you know, what we need from investors, uh, what they need from us uh, in order to feel comfortable um, and, you know, just having good authentic conversations. And David with peanut butter, what's your story? I know you've also bootstrapped ventures in the past. Are you working with investors now and what's that look like? Can you hear me now? Yes. Um, yeah, a little bit of both uh, from my personal experience with peanut butter. Uh, we're fortunate to work with some great investors, uh, both uh, funds, private and, and public, as well as um, a, a number of prolific angels that, are, that have uh, experience relative to our business. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I take my job as uh, a manager, uh, as an executive, really seriously in that um, it's the investor's job to put in the money and my job to create a return for the investors. So at, at a minimum, that's what I expect of the investor is to write a check and to expect to check back. And I work really hard and my team works really hard to, to put us in a position to do that. Um, beyond that, what once the check is in, like what what makes an, an awesome investor to work with? They would say anything they do is is icing on the cake. Um, you know, we we don't see an act, we don't expect an active role from our investors, but we have been fortunate to work with some uh, investors that have made a really positive impact on our business. Um, 
folks like Howard Tallman in Chicago, who's uh, a multi-time business builder and, and uh, led 1871 in Chicago to become the number one tech incubator in the world. Um, Howard has made countless introductions that have led to new clients and partners and team members um, and has just been an awesome uh, connector and mentor to me in, in growing this business. And then others like um, Steve Case's Steve Case and the team at uh, Revolution were we were fortunate to receive an investment through the Rise of the Rest, um, and they not only have provided um, access to resources resources for um, talent acquisition, uh, but also they do a wonderful job of networking between the the CEOs and founders of the companies in their portfolio. So. Um, they've invited us uh, cordially to, uh, I think, what has been an annual get together um, with, you know, leaders in, in tech, whether that's B2B or consumer, um, in different areas uh, to, to learn and to network and, and to grow. And, um, you know, I would say uh, I appreciate and never expected more from any of our investors, but definitely those are two investors that, that stand out for me. And Dave, you're you're certainly in the thick of it right now with Kamana too, and and you don't have to say anything bad about those folks at established ventures. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm curious how how are you protecting that air of authenticity around Kamana as you fundraise right now? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, playing off the concept of authenticity. Uh, I mean, I've been told by probably 50% of investors I've ever talked to that I'm honest to a fault, um, which. Yeah, it has, has its ups and downs, but we've always taken the approach of, you know, like a uh, from the gate. I mean, from like the day we decided to start a company, like building that investor network and and frequently updating them uh, has been so key to us, like being successful and raising money, like, you know, so early. Um, so that, you know, I think has been really important. Just, you know, a make sure, you know, we established like a really routine like communication method with folks um, and then just being really authentic in that communication and, um, you know, continuing that with, you know, existing investors and, you know, people who said no as well. And I think that's been, you know, such a big part of, you know, our like networking and like this startup world is, you know, it's like just even if, you know, you get you get turned down or, you know, something doesn't work out, it's like so important to keep that relationship key. And um, I can, you know, I can say the, uh, relationship we, we came into with an investment with established was actually born out of a out of an original no that led to an introduction to, to rich with established so um i would say just like you know we're super authentic super honest about kind of our, our numbers and our data i've had people kind of be like i, I can't you know i can't believe you just sent out an update email that you you know you're down to your last three thousand dollars in the bank and that was before we raised our seed round but i mean i think that just like that general like, hey, this is where we're at. And, you know, this is, you know, how hard we're working to make this thing successful, I think has been like just a key driver of like the relationships we've built from an investment standpoint. And um, fortunate to think with the exception of maybe three or four investors, uh, everything has come out of the city of uh, Richmond or the state of Virginia, which is a, a little bit kind of different and was challenging because uh, you know, they do want you to grow off of a stable business model. And, you know, you kind of have to play that balance between like, we're going to be really big versus we're going to be, you know, really stable. Um, so like, you know, figuring out that balance was pretty important. And then uh, having the rest of our uh, kind of investment portfolios come out of 
other small market cities like uh, you know Omaha, Nebraska, Denver, Colorado, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So we've kind of pulled some money from various places. Well, I want to draw a little bit more on, you've already touched on teams and like with your team, Amy, there's such a deep domain expertise in what you bring into your product. And I'm curious to know more from each of you, and we'll start with you, Amy, about how you've built your team and what kinds of backgrounds or what your philosophy is around staffing up your team in the early stages. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I'm a scientist, I have a PhD in pharmacology. Um, I know I've been through infertility, miscarriage, IVF. I know, you know, the hormones, fertility, you know, like the back of my hand, unfortunately, um, you know, on a scientific level, on a personal level. And so, you know, I knew I had that, that capacity and I created the technology and, and sold it. We sold it in plastic bags, literally on Amazon. Uh, no branding, no anything, no marketing. Um, and the first person that I had to recruit was my co-founder, Ellen, was the marketing side. Is how, <laughs> Pardon my French, but how the hell are we going to build a consumer brand if I don't have a brand? <laughs> like it's just, you know. Square and, one. And, you know, and so I, I had to basically lead with the science and the actual test for about a year to build enough traction for somebody of her caliber that was a branding expert to be like, oh yeah, this is a good product. Let me put some branding behind it and really create the, the product experience. Um, so, you know, my, it was just me and myself um, for the first year. Um, and then she came along and she's built brands um, such as Coors Light, um, Horizon Milk, Silk. And so she's, you know, she's very in, you know, in the throes of the consumer branding. Um, and then our third employee was again on the marketing side. So a lot of the, the social media content, um, a lot of design content, a lot of um, blog writing, <laughs> um, you know, website design, you know, those kind of things. Um, you know, it wasn't, then we built the team as we needed. So now we have a regulatory person, we have a supply person because we have, you know, just so much stuff going on and, and products. Um, uh, you know, got an intern, which was awesome. Again, through the state of Colorado, it was awesome. They paid for half of our intern, so <laughs> that was great. Um, but but yeah, I mean, the thing that the one thing that I did early on was I'm a scientist. I went back to school and got my MBA to know just enough about business to know what I did know and what I don't know. Like for example. I hate doing financial stuff. I just hate it. Like I'm just <laughs> not my bag. And so we have a, you know, a CFO that does that. And it's like, okay, I know that I need this, but I'm not going to do it myself. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, as a founder, we think we need to do it all. Um, but that's not true. We need to know what we're good at and to know what we are not good at and to be able to fill those gaps to create a team that is, you know, is good. I mean, most investors won't invest in, in you unless you have at least two co-founders, if not three. And Dave, what's happening with the development of the team at Kamana? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I mentioned earlier that uh, my original, you know, one of my original co-founders, John, was a travel nurse, also a longtime friend of mine. And when him and I decided we wanted to try to make this thing happen, we 
you know, neither of, neither of us are engineers. Uh, and we kind of decided really early on that we don't, we don't want to outsource. We want to you know, find somebody that's going to be a part of this with us and spent several months looking and just got super fortunate to, to meet and, uh, you know, be go into a kind of partnership and equal, you know, equal co-founding relationship, which I think is also important, despite the fact that, you know, we didn't know him, we, we wanted him to be just as big of a part of this as we are. So um, got really lucky on the engineering side and, and uh, it was just the, uh, the three of us and then another friend of ours um, that had been working with us from the beginning that, you know, kind of helped build our brand, um, but really just the three of us full time for a long time. And uh, I guess in June of this year, we, made our first hire, which was another engineer and um, kind of stuck with the let's stay distributed mindset and, you know, got the job word out across the country and uh, brought him on out of uh, upstate New York. Um, and then just recently, we've been back into hiring mode after closing some funding and we uh, uh, have now brought on a customer success, man customer success manager, uh, customer support manager uh, and uh, head of marketing. and they're all over the place as well between Florida, California and uh, Pennsylvania. So um, team is growing. And um, I think from a, a team perspective, I mean, we've gotten just like so fortunate with, you know, as we got the company started um, and then just amazingly fortunate with these uh, folks that we've brought on in the past few months and uh, everybody's come in and it's just like hit the ground running and, you know, is big thing for us is, you know, as we were going through both our, you know, initial start and, you know, hiring, and then now any future hiring is, uh, you know, we want that same like authenticity and everybody that works with the company. And uh, we also want that passion. I mean, there's a huge part about like being a, you know, a travel nurse or being a staffing agency or being a hospital, like dealing with all the stuff we're trying to fix. I mean, it sucks. So like, we want to come in and, and have people that are like passionate about like, you know, that's a real problem for like a real person. And I want to help solve that real problem for that real person. And uh, we've uh, been fortunate to, to keep that mentality so far. And that's the goal as we continue to grow. Garrett, I think you're someone who we're, we're co-schedule uh, customers, clients now here at Established. Um, so that's been a really fun Great. experience for us in recent months. And we've certainly worked with some people on your team who we really love and who've been super supportive of Established. Um, so I'm curious, what's what's your philosophy around, like what Dave was saying around like the culture and how you really find the right kind of talent while you're trying to build this company in a place like the Dakotas where you say it's not easy to find jobs like the ones that, that you're creating. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in terms of culture, you know, when, uh, you know, our, our team has, um, there's a fairly, very large team. We're around 50, 50 people right now. Um, and I think one of the biggest lessons we've had in the last few years is just learning how to maintain that culture as our process changes, as um, the expectations change in terms of how people's job is done. And particularly how uh, you kind of eventually you go from this, um, company where everyone knows everything all the time about everything. Um, and there's, you know, and there's a sense of unity that comes from that. And there's a sense of mission. I think Dave, you kind of hit on that really, really well. Like in the, in the early days, you have to have a belief in order to join a startup. Um, and you have to be somebody who's, who's almost, almost uh, in our case, almost people that could be founders themselves, people that can, can adapt to a wide variety of skills. They can take on a lot of different things. Um, as we've gotten, as we've grown and gotten older, people have uh, specialized more and we hire more specialized talent and their deep, you know, passion is in a specific area 
uh, of work, you know, whether it be engineering or, uh, you know, marketing or, you know, how are we looking at data and statistics and, and it's not necessarily the mission uh, that we all, we, you know, we started CoSchedule with. So I think um, those types of things are how do you keep that culture, um, you know, and, and, and how do you keep that, that sense alive? And for us, that has always come down to just really, um, you know, as founders being very committed to, you know, investing in core values in new ways, uh, sometimes ways that as founders, we're not like, oh, that shouldn't be necessary. We don't need to have like, you know, a core value week or a core value month, but um, you have to, you know, we had to become more intentional about some of those things because some things that we sort of took for granted as founders that were just sort of in the air in the beginning, we, we had to be more purposeful um, in creating those events. So, uh, you know, helping, you know, highlighting things that, um, you know, that are, we, we had a, we did an example of that as we did something called vote for value. Um, and, you know, we really were highlighting people on our team, uh, highlighting certain efforts on our team that were really creating outstanding value for our customers. Um, and, you know, all of that was just a way to reflect back on our core values and help make, make sure that some of those things that, you know, used to, everyone just used to know because everyone knew everything, uh, get brought up to the top and shared with the team. Um, and we do a lot of that, you know, through still, um, you know, weekly all hands meetings and really using those meetings as a, a tool for celebrating the team and, and sharing what everybody is doing. I think David, uh, over to you, you know, peanut butter is, it's a social impact organization. I mean, student loan debt is a major issue um, right now. How does that how does that influence the way that you're building a team? You know, we, we certainly have uh, an, an interest in helping people. And it feels really nice when you're able to help people. Um, we also quantify the impact that our, our, our employer clients can make on their team members in terms of the um, principal and interest that those individuals are saving and how much faster they're able to get out of debt as a result of their company's help. Um, we, uh, our, our number one goal is to uh, focus on our customers and, and our customers are um, employers. So, you know, it's, it's nice when we have someone who says, you know, I, I really want to help people get out from under their student loans but the people that we really, that look for um, and that have shown that they can make the biggest impact on our team are people who say, I really wanna help employers attract, retain and engage talent. Because everything we do with student loans is a means to an end. It's a means to uh, make things easy on the company that uh, wants to stand out in the competitive market for talent that needs to hire nurses, that needs to hire software engineers, that needs to hire store managers, that needs to retain uh, the people who, who work at their company. And those people might be working remotely. They might, um, it might be difficult to engage them. They might be returning to work after a pandemic. Uh, they might uh, be looking at other job opportunities, but when companies offer meaningful benefits, um, they're, those people are more likely to stay. So it's, it's nice that we're able to make a social impact. Um, but the, uh, I would say from our, our company's, company standpoint, uh, the, the bread and butter of what we do here at Peanut Butter is on uh, creating an ROI for the employers that buy our software. 
Well, we had this discussion a, a couple of moments ago about how not everything goes to plan. And David, I'll, I'll stay with you and ask this question. I'm, I'm sure you've messed up a time or two or, or have had some you know, most embarrassing moments in your founder story. Yeah. What, what lesson has taken you the longest to learn as a founder or a startup CEO? Uh, you know, the number one job as a founder and a CEO, I think probably both is leadership um, and people development. Uh, and yeah, there can be a million things to do, but when you plan out your week, if you're not planning out time with your people, um, it's going to be a big miss. Uh, uh, you, you know, you need to uh, think about your job as a manager um, and as a leader as much as uh, any other job that you might have, any other hat that you might have at the company, whether that's uh, sales or product or engineering or investor relations and finance. Um, it's, uh, it's the people that make it happen. How about for you, Garrett? Yeah, I think... Um... You know, I think uh, investing in partners uh, that really uh, make a difference in, in the work that you do, particularly when you're in a technology-based company, um, I think early on we could have done a better job of building some of those relationships as a tool that does a lot of integrations. We actually connect to a lot of services. Um, there's a lot of open APIs that you, can, that you can get access to and utilize, but taking this step more early on and actually even hiring, uh, creating a, uh, a position and hiring someone to come in and nurture some of those partnerships would have saved us some um, headache of, you know, where we're kind of scrambling to get contacts at certain, uh, in, certain, in certain places um, or trying to quickly build relationships to make sure we don't lose access to something um, and things that we worked through, but things that I know could have been a lot less um, hectic and threatening in many ways to, to the business if we would have invested in those, those types of relationships uh, early on. And I think that's one thing you know, it can be a, um, um, a pothole or something for a Midwest-based startup is that you don't always have access to some of those networks um, and they don't, they don't come very easy. So you have to work a little harder um, at making sure you build those connections and uh, probably something we should have been more intentional about earlier on. And for you, Amy, what are those lessons learned? I mean, you went back and got your MBA, but I'm sure you're learning a lot of a lot of uh, lessons as you've built the company. Uh, there's so many lessons. It's like like one or <laughs> two, maybe a day. I swear. Um, <laughs> I guess the biggest lesson is, you know, when you have a really bad day you know, for whatever happened to know that, you know, you're doing the best you can, you, you are doing the right thing and it will get better. And it oftentimes does. Um, you know, we've had situations where investors were about to, you know, sign on the dotted line and we did get down to that, like $2,000 left in the bank account situation. And then they pull out last minute and we're like, oh my God, now what are we going to do? We're totally sunk you know, COVID hits and the world shuts down. It's like, oh my God, no one's going to be making babies anymore. We're totally sunk. Um, you know, but there's always going to be, always going to be challenges. Um, so the biggest lesson is just keep the faith and keep chugging along. Um, always do the right thing. Never be um, underhanded or deceptive. Um, you know, it's that whole like, you know, being real kind of thing. There's, there's a lot of people I've, I've learned 
they're just trying to make money and they'll wheel and deal and steal and do what they want to do to, to make that happen. Um, but as long as your, you know, your moral compass is always forward, <laughs> um, that's always proven us, us very well. So. And Dave. Uh, yeah, second applause on mute. Um, I'll echo what Amy said really fast. And I mean, I, I just like understanding that, you know, there are things that you're not in control of. I mean, that's so key to understand. I think any startup founder really early on, it's like, if you let, you know, the, the bad things uh, ruin your day, you're going to ruin your day every day. Um, so that's, that's definitely not something that uh, you've got to get past as a founder, like really early on, or it is something you have to get past really early on. Um, and I would say, you know, maybe, you know, one key thing I think for me personally is, uh, and this goes with, you know, personal stuff and customers and users, but like kind of learning how to say no, I mean, as a kind of a small young startup, you've only got so much time. Um, you want to please everybody. You want to please your investors and your co-founders and your customers and your users and that partner who thinks that, you know, there's this perfect integration and like, there's all these, you know, things that people want to do and there's a lot of great ideas, but you've only got so much time. So I think, like being comfortable with with saying no, I think has been a big thing for me. And uh, that's even like no to myself of like, you know, like I wanna be involved in this project, but like, I don't have time. So like, hey man, like just give that thing away and and, uh, and go back and focus on other things because you can't do it, can't do it all. All right, thanks so much, that was great. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed some of those stories and hopefully took something positive from the discussion there. Uh, I certainly did and uh, enjoyed listening to everyone and great to hear everyone, everyone's doing so well. Uh, and uh, the, for those of those listeners that are, you know, following along and want to share the message, please do so with somebody. If you think this is helpful for somebody else, you know, we, we believe in sharing and helping spread the message and uh, sharing is caring. So spread the love here and help somebody out. Speaking of sharing, I wanted to mention open grants because I think it's something our listeners may find interesting. Uh, there's some interesting services. So Open Grants Platform is a, a search engine and uh, expert marketplace that unlocks non-dilutive U.S. funding for organizations around the world. So you can sign up for free and search this, the various grants. Uh, if you go to www.opengrants.io forward slash established, and in doing so, you might find uh, something that could empower your startup, your nonprofit, uh, your foundation. Uh, it should be um, all in there and lots of different ways to get funded these days and not just the traditional... Um, friends and family, angel or venture methods. Um, so check it out. It's www.opengrants.io forward slash established. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, and remember, if you're out there and you've got an idea and you want to get it going, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Get it going, iterate. And in, in doing so, I encourage you to join our community. Uh, we really are here to help and we want to offer support, expert advice, resources, mentorship, some events, a little bit of fun, and we hope that uh, it helps you elevate your startup and continue to keep going. So our to join us, you can join us anytime, as I mentioned earlier, just go to SOTY.link, L-I-N-K, uh, forward slash apply. So SOTY.link forward slash apply, or just type in startupoftheyear.com. All right, until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Thanks again for listening. Wishing you the best of luck and future success in all of your ventures. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon.